Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Boyd Matheson elevates the issues. Yeah, I don't what do know, we do? I don't know that we've reached that level. We We're just kind of talk about them We're and, work in progress. and make some jokes about them as we yeah. go. I don't know, yeah. something like that. Marty Carpenter, Leah Murray in today uh, for Boyd Matheson on Inside Sources. We're grateful that you're all along with us for the ride today. Leah, this is a super busy time in the nation's capital, mostly because you have a lame duck Congress right. and a holiday deadline right. ticking closer and closer. Everybody's going to want to get out of town. Right. And there is a lot on the plate for Congress that they're trying to get done. Right. And it seems like every day you hear about something else they're trying to get done, and you're thinking, most of this just ain't going to get happen. done. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. That's right. So right now, Congress is negotiating its end-of-year spending package. That's one thing. And it's like a one-point-something trillion. Like, it's a big number, an, an incomprehensible number uh, spending package that they're trying to get done before the December 16th deadline. So it's a good time to bring up Congress's spending problem yeah. and ballooning federal deficit. Uh, at our current rate, in 10 years, the U.S. will have more debt than it did after World War II. So, hey, where are we at and how can we get our deficit under control? Let's bring in uh, Romina Bacha. Uh, she's the Director of Budget and Entitlement Policy at the Cato Institute. Uh, Romina, thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me, Marty. Leah, nice to meet you. Very nice to meet you. So we read your article, um, Five Good CBO Options to Reduce the Federal Deficit. And we agree with all of them, <laughs> but I feel like, Romina, we're thinking, Ooh. how is it even possible, given the what Marty just did, the lead-in, right? Like this Congress, right? So why don't you talk to us about where we're at with this deficit, give us some context, and then we're just going to listen and think, you're right, but how does it work and how would it ever happen? Yeah, the the deficit is too high after um, at the end of the fiscal year, which ends in September, we had a deficit of over $1.4 trillion for 2022. And we're looking at an average deficit of about $1.6 trillion, so slightly higher um, for the remainder of the next decade if we don't change course. And so I thought the Congressional Budget Office report, which is, by the way, a nonpartisan uh, congressional research arm, they don't take any political positions. They didn't even endorse any of the deficit options that they shared. Um, they just put out a report informing Congress of uh, 76 options that they had selected based on what lawmakers had asked them to score in the past and proposals that seemed to have um, had some support in, in previous, con previous Congresses and some of them in this Congress and said, OK, look, um, we scored all of these. There's a couple of different ways you could tackle some of these issues, and here are the options. And I just went through the report and thought, you know, 76 options, hundreds of pages. This is going to be hard for lawmakers and the public to dig through. So let me see if I can identify some of the, you know, what I consider to be the most important items that should be part of the debate, um, especially as we head into this next Congress, where I think it's extremely important that we uh, hit the fiscal breaks 
we get inflation under control. And the way to do that is to reduce the deficit and also reassure uh, U.S. investors who are buying all of this debt that our government is generating that uh, we are committed to managing our money, our budget um, uh, responsibly, and that we're a trustworthy country going forward. And that means adopting a, uh, a more stable debt path. And so these uh, proposals that I picked all save um, lots of money and they address the big drivers of spending, which are rising health care costs and um, uh, Social Security. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, even as you just sort of look at the words that we're using here, we're saying we need to cut the deficit, right? Right. We need to cut the deficit, which means we just basically need to spend less money we don't have than, than normal. Mm-hmm. And we're, we centered that. We started the segment by talking about what's what are they really trying to do? Trying to finalize a spending package, right? Not a savings package so much as a spending package. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, know, you, you listed a few things uh, in your story, uh, suggestions or steps we could take. Uh, we won't have time to go through all five of them. What are maybe one or two that you would highlight for us? Yeah, so I think one that uh, should be a no-brainer and that the states should take an interest in it as well if you have a, a federal health care program that is administered by the state, uh, by the state's Medicaid uh, spending has grown significantly in part, I think, because of this federal match that is unlimited. And so a simple proposal would be to say the federal government will cap the match that it provides to states at the current level and only grow it with inflation. And then the states from there can determine how they want to manage that program. And uh, then some states might find cost savings. Other states may want to expand their program and raise taxes from their own population to do so. That's the beauty of our federal system. And that uh, change alone would save $836 billion over 10 years. Now, we did the math and to stabilize the debt over uh, the next 10 years, just at the current level, not even reducing the debt from where it is now, which is already as big as the entire economy of the United States, 100% of GDP, but just keeping it at that level and stopping it from growing even further um, would require uh, almost $8 trillion in spending cuts over 10. So with this Medicaid cap, um, you are 10% of the way there. Then we just got to get nine other proposals that are at least this big. I love that. If we just just have to get nine others. So that was kind of my question right at the beginning, right, Romina, is Congress is never going to do, right? So these are excellent ideas. Are any of them, I like how Marty asked you to pick the most important one to highlight, but are any of them actually politically feasible? Like, is it possible, maybe with a change in party in the House of Representatives, would any of these proposals actually make it through? You know, 
all of these proposals that I picked, I think, truly depend on bipartisan support. And there the question is, are lawmakers getting enough pressure from their constituents? Are they hearing from their constituents that they are worried about the deficit, that they're worried about uh, the trajectory of the U.S. debt? And, you know, you don't have to be a budget expert to call up your member of Congress and just ask them, like, what's going on with the deficit and debt? It seems like it's out of control. What are you doing to get it under control? What proposals have you put forth? And um, when we've looked at other countries, often what's made these entitlement reforms feasible and politically realistic was um, some type of crisis. And I would say that with this high inflation and surging interest rates, we are in a crisis period. We shouldn't wait for the crisis to get even worse or for a potential fiscal crisis to force lawmakers' hands. I think the next two years are really critical. There's a very narrow majority in the House of Representatives. They they are talking about making fiscal responsibility a, a, a primary part of their agenda next year. We have the debt limit coming up. So I do think that if lawmakers um, can get together and um, in a bipartisan manner, maybe even behind closed doors so that everyone has something to sell to their constituents, but just rally behind this idea that we should really stabilize our budget, our debt, and make sure that we have a solid fiscal policy going forward, then yes, I do think these, uh, these changes are very much uh, feasible. Well, all interesting ideas, and we'll see how the political practicalities play out. Romina Bacha is the Director of Budget and Entitlement Policy at the Cato Institute. Romina, thanks so much for taking some time with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, I think I love this idea of the Congressional Budget Office saying, this is the problem. (laughs) Here are 76 ways to fix it. And Congress... Right. And what you heard, the answer is they're supposed to hear from their constituents. And I'm just really not sure anyone's clocking how bad this is maybe getting. Right? Yeah. Well, that's exactly right. And it's always I guess this takes away part of the excuse. Right. To say, like, well, there's no way to fix it. Well, here are here's a list of ways to fix it. Right. right. Now it's just a matter of can we agree on which ways those are. And it seems like it's hard to even get people to agree on, is it bad to have a huge national debt <laughs> Right, anymore? like is it even a problem? And I yeah. think like one of the things, I'll just push you a little bit, but from the Republican Party, you used to count on them to be deficit hawks and to care about this. And I don't know that I see that anywhere in the it, Republican leadership right now. It hasn't been the case right probably now. over the last, you know, four to six years. But, but you know, to... to to position it and say that that's a Republican problem. That's like saying, oh, no, it's oh, everybody's I'm sorry problem. The, the Republicans right. used to be the, the designated driver, but now they drink too. It's right. like, well, okay. <laughs> well, we the, the other guy drivers. is still not right. able to drive the place either. So, like, it's an equal opportunity problem. Republicans, yes, were traditionally better at this. The Trump years were not as much so. And, uh, yeah. you know, so that puts us in an even deeper position. And the problem is, like, the way that this gets difficult is at some point you got to make those payments on the credit card. Yeah. And the interest payments are going to be so high that they're going to be tough for us to make. To and that's when real changes yeah. end up getting right. forced. So coming up next, are colleges concealing their true cost to incoming students? We will have Preston Cooper from the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity to figure things out. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. 
who would help our newest neighbors. Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.